Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We will begin this period of our worship where we open the Bible and study from it. Hear what God has to say for us. Mark chapter 10. Thank you so much for the good worship that we've enjoyed together. I want to thank the men who have led us in that worship and the thoughtful way they've put together their songs and their thoughts that kind of have made a coherent thought through the whole service, and I appreciate that very much, especially because it contributes something to what I'm going to say uh, for this time this morning. So I want to say before I get started, a welcome to those who are visiting with us. We do have visitors in our audience. We're always glad to have visitors. We want you to know that you're welcome with us, and we would love to help you in any way we can to know more about Jesus, to be right with God. If there's anything we can do that would uh, be of service to you, please let us know about that. Especially, I want to say that if you are looking for a church home, you live in this area and you're thinking about uh, becoming a part of this group, we want you to know we'd love to have you, love to have you be a part of our family here. And uh, that process that we go through, sometimes we call it placing membership or something like that. What we're saying is that that's a time where you let us know that you want to be a part of this group that you want the elders to know you and to watch out for your soul, to encourage you, and you want us to know that, that you're committed to being here with us. We'd love for that to happen, and if you'd like to do that, just please let any of us know, and uh, the elders would like to sit down and talk to you and get to know you a little bit uh, so that you can be a part of our group. But just wanted to let you know, for those who might not know that, that that's the way we kind of work through that uh, here. So we're thankful that you're here. Mark chapter 10, I want to read in verse 35. Mark 10 and verse 35 says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We can get to know people through stories, learning about them, learning about the way they behave in certain situations. And with that as our basic thought, we have been examining for the last several weeks the stories of Jesus. And I've been preaching a little bit differently in that series. For those who have been here, you know that, where I've been trying to focus more on the stories than us reading them and carefully going through the verses, because what I want us to do is to get a sense for Jesus. And I want us particularly to think about if we were to walk with Jesus and know Jesus, what we would notice, what would stick out to us about his character, things that we now as distant observers, as disciples of Jesus, but not walking with him physically, We need to know as we follow him and as we want to get to know him better. So what we've done in this series so far is we've talked about Jesus as a faith magnet, and we talked about Jesus as knowing God, and we talked about Jesus last week as making all things new. Sometimes when we're in the middle of a series, though, it feels like the series may go on forever. And I want you to know that this series is only going to go on for about 33 more weeks. 
No, next week we'll wrap up uh, this, this lesson, and then next week uh, we'll have something else to say to close this out uh, as we talk about what happens to Jesus after his death. But this morning, what I want to focus on is what comes to mind from this text that we've just read, which is the idea that Jesus sacrifices himself, that Jesus came to give of himself and to fully offer himself to God and to people, and that in his life... While we focus sometimes on the crucifixion as the idea of sacrifice, and I've got the crown of thorns here on the picture, that really Jesus' crucifixion is merely the culmination of an entire life spent giving of himself to others and to God, full devotion to God, utter commitment. And I want us to see that as we think about Jesus and how Jesus' character should not only stick out in our minds, but also inform our character. So let's think about that for a few minutes this morning. When you think about Jesus sacrificing himself, first the idea is that he lowers himself to serve. So that's really the text that we're in right now. The apostles, they have an ongoing argument about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They have a vision of the kingdom that it's going to be a political system. And they're going to be at the right and left hands of the king. And the apostles are constantly arguing about who is the greatest, which one of us is going to be the greatest. And I don't really know what, I mean, it's kind of a funny argument, isn't it? I mean, what can you say? I'm the greatest because of this. And somebody else says, no, I'm the greatest. I, I don't really know if the argument goes anywhere, but they keep having it. And so James and John come to Jesus. One version says they have their mother with them. And they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. And Jesus says, okay, what do you want? And they say, we want the right and left hand when you become king. They're sort of asking for a cabinet position. Okay, we want to be higher ups in the kingdom because we knew the king. We got in on the ground floor. And Jesus says, well, wait a minute. Can you drink the cup? Can you be baptized with the baptism? And they say, you bet. Bring the cup on. You know, let's get baptized. Whatever you need me to do, I can do it. And Jesus says, well, that is going to happen to you, but... Of course, they don't really understand what he means, but he says, it's not my job. I can't give you the right and the left hand. And then the other 10 apostles, who I picture as sort of standing off, they realize what's been happening, and they're mad. They're mad because they didn't think of this first. You know, we could have gone and done the end run around the other apostles, and maybe we could have gotten the right and left hand, especially uh, Peter. I mean, I'm probably first in line for the right hand. And so they're mad because this is another way that this argument is coming out. And so Jesus finally, he takes them aside and he says, look, you have to understand, this is the way Gentiles live. And the rulers of the Gentiles, the Romans, they're all about jockeying for power and fighting each other and trying to sneak their way into high positions. But it's not going to be that way with you. You, my people, are going to be different. You are going to be the greatest when you're the lowest. You are going to be greater when you serve. And then he says, and these are the words that I want to echo in your mind throughout the morning. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you see what he's saying? He is saying that his life, his sacrifice of himself, his crucifixion is just a part of his entire mission. Which is not to be served, but to serve. He lowers himself to serve. That's what Jesus said. Jesus lowers himself just in coming to earth. Paul talks about him as emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant and becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Paul talks about him in another place as though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. He lowered himself to serve other people. And when he lives as a man, that's exactly what he does. He serves everyone. He serves the rich and the poor. He serves the great and the lowly. He serves the righteous and the wicked. He heals the people who are sick. He confronts the people who need some challenge in their life. The people who are just coming to faith, he encourages. At every turn, he is patient. He is careful because he knows he is here to serve. He is here to serve God and the will of the Father. He is here to serve people and the things that they need. He is a servant. If you really study how Jesus works with the 12 apostles, it really jumps out at me because when you look at how many times they say dumb things, how many times they don't understand him, how many times he has to correct them, just like this situation, it is amazing that he never just throws up his hands and say, all right, we're starting over. Let me get 12 new guys. You guys are not getting the job done. But he is here to serve. But when we know what we know, like what we've already studied about Jesus' power, about Jesus' connection with God, it makes his humility that much more amazing. You see, he is willing to lower himself when he shouldn't have to. And that is how he identifies himself. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, for I am meek and lowly in heart, nobody laughs. Can you imagine if some of our politicians got up and said, boy, I sure am humble, how people would laugh? Never Jesus, because people recognized who he was and what he did was all about serving God and serving others. So it's the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's gathered with his apostles to eat the Passover, but there is sort of a pall over the night. He knows that someone is going to betray him, And as he says that out loud, the apostles start to argue among themselves about who it will be, asking Jesus, is it I, is it I, is it I? So Jesus gets up from the table. He takes off his outer shirt. Think about him just being maybe in an undershirt. And he wraps a towel around his waist. I kind of picture it like putting on an apron. It was time time to do some work. And the disciples have to get quiet. What what is he doing? Why did he take his shirt off? What's the towel for? He takes some of the water from the meal and pours it into a basin. And he comes to the disciples one by one. He puts their feet in the basin. Begin to wash them off. Take them out. Use the towel and dry their feet. So he goes from one to the other. And I just... This is just my editorial comment. I just can't help but see them stunned into silence by what they are seeing. Except for Peter. Because when he comes to Peter, Peter says, Jesus, what are you doing? Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, hey, you don't understand right now, but you'll understand later. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. Peter says, oh, well, don't just start with the feet. Hands and the head, wash me all over. So Jesus goes around the room doing the work of a servant for the men that he created, including the man he knows is going to betray him shortly. And he puts his shirt back down and he sits down in his seat. 
And nobody's arguing about who's the greatest. And nobody's saying, is it I, is it I, is it I? They're ready to listen. And Jesus says, you call me Lord and teacher, and you're right to do so. I am your Lord. I am your teacher. But if I can get down and wash your feet, can't you wash one another's feet? Can't you serve each other? Don't think that you're greater than I am. If I do this, you do this too. If you love me, you'll serve each other. Jesus lowers himself to serve. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And service is going to mean this kind of humility. The kind of humility that says, I don't think I'm too good to do something for someone else. That's not somebody else's job. It is instead, I am desperate to do what someone else needs me to do. And service means sacrifice, which is the idea of offering something up, usually something that costs me, that I have to give up. Sacrificing my honor, sacrificing my time and my energy and my love, that when I love God, I then serve people. That's what Jesus teaches me. He lowers himself to serve. Jesus is not just some visionary spiritual leader who sits up in an ivory tower all the time and meditates. And then when somebody comes to him with a question, he may give them a wise answer. He is instead down on the ground washing feet. He lowers himself to serve. Jesus sacrifices himself in that he suffers rejection and shame. So if you're keeping track, that means not only does the creator of the universe come into his creation and become a man, not only does he humble himself to become obedient, not only does he take the form of a servant, but he also suffers the pain of rejection and shame at the hands of the people he created. So here is the situation. Jesus, right after he starts preaching, he goes home to Nazareth. You know what it's like to go home, right? Some of you have probably never really seriously left home, but if you've ever seriously left home like Jesus did, going preaching, and then you go back home, well, there's a certain experience you have. By the way, I had this happen when I held a meeting in the church that I grew up with. I, I preached for them for a week, and I don't think any of them heard a word I said because they just kept looking at me like this. Isn't that cute? He's trying to preach. So here's Jesus. He goes home. He goes home to Nazareth, and he's in the synagogue in Nazareth. And, and in the synagogue, there is an opportunity for him to read Scripture. They knew him. They had heard of him because he's been doing miracles in the area. So everybody's excited. There's a buzz in the synagogue. Here Jesus reads from Isaiah 61. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, to do all these wonderful things. It's a messianic passage. And Jesus says, after he rolls a scroll up, and the audience is waiting, what's he going to say? Today, this scripture is fulfilled right here. And everybody's amazed at what Jesus begins to say. But Jesus knows their hearts, and something's not right. Because he says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, physician, heal yourself. You've done so many miracles, we want to see a miracle. And Jesus says, I want to warn you. There were a lot of lepers in Israel, but Elisha wasn't sent to any of them. He was sent to a Gentile named Naaman. A lot of widows in Israel, but Elijah didn't go to one of them. He went to the widow of Zarephath, a Gentile. In other words, if God's people are hostile to him, God will go outside his people. And suddenly, the crowd, 
is not nearly as interested in his sermon. Because basically Jesus is saying, if you don't want to hear me, God will send me to the Gentiles. And they take him and they try to kill him. Try to throw him off a cliff. This their native son. Rejection and shame. These are the people that know Jesus best and already they want to kill him. So if we walked with Jesus, I think we would notice this immediately, that Jesus, despite, of the, fact, despite the fact that he preached the gospel, that he preached good news, that he was patient with people and worked with people and tried to get them to believe in God, despite that fact, people tend to recoil at him and to react harshly to him. And I think we would also notice that Jesus embraces the rejection and shame that comes from his message. I think we would notice that just from hearing him talk. Jesus tells several stories, and most of them have to do with how the plan of God involves the rejection of Jesus. So he tells a story about a king who has a banquet for his son and invites a bunch of people, and the people all reject the message. They say, no, we don't want any part of it. And then he sends more servants, and they kill some of them and beat some of them. Jesus knows God's plan is going to involve rejection and shame. Jesus tells a story about a man who has a vineyard and he gives it to some tenants who are supposed to tend to the vineyard and then send some of the fruit to him. And yet when he sends messengers to get the fruit, they beat them and they kill them. And over and over again, finally he says, you know what, I'll send my son. And he sends his son and they say, here's the heir, let's kill him and we'll have the inheritance. And so they kill the son. Jesus knows in fact, at the close of that story, he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected. He says, that's me. I know that I am here to suffer and die. And if we were around Jesus, that would be a strange way to talk. In fact, we might even, and I think sometimes the apostles do this, we might even say, Jesus, wait a minute. Don't you know? You don't have to put up with that. James and John say, don't you want us to call down fire from heaven if these Samaritans won't receive us? Don't you know? Jesus, you have access to power. You can stop all of this. And yet Jesus embraces the suffering and rejection that is a part of his message. And Jesus does suffer. He is treated like a criminal. When he runs afoul of the authorities, eventually they plot and bribe Judas to have him arrested. And he says, as they come out to him, have you come out to me as against a robber? He's arrested and led to the house of the high priest. There he is accused of things that aren't even crimes, like saying that destroy this temple and in three days I'll lift it up, build it up. They blindfold him and hit him, saying prophesy who hit you. They take him to Pilate, cry for his blood. They spit in his face. The Roman soldiers take him to have fun with him, and they strip him of his clothes and put purple robes on him. And they put a scepter in his hand and a crown of thorns on his head so that he looks like Caesar. And they bow the knee and make fun of him. Oh, hail, king of the Jews. They lead him outside the city where the defiled things go. And they strip him of his clothes 
and gamble for them. And they nail him to a tree. And the people who bother to come out of the city to watch him die, make fun of him. Oh, Jesus, you're the king. Come down from the cross, king. Oh, you saved everybody, but you can't save yourself. I thought you were so close to God, but God doesn't seem to want anything to do with you now. What is amazing about Jesus is that he willingly suffers all of this. He has the power to stop it. He tells Peter, don't you think I can call down 12 legions of angels? Don't you know? It's not that he couldn't. It's that he wouldn't stop the rejection and shame. Jesus knows the hearts of those around him. Jesus knows the evil that has possessed them in this moment. And yet he still cares and still loves and still serves and suffers for the good of the world. He sacrifices himself. And he offers his life for others. If we were to follow Jesus, we would hear him say things like this. We already read one of these. The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We would hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We would hear Jesus say, greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of person Jesus is. The focus Jesus has is always on other people. None of his actions is pointless. Always he is focused on people and how he can best serve and help them. That means that his death is not just an accident. It is instead a deliberate choice that is an outgrowth of his focus and his life focused on other people. I just want you to think with me about this. Think about that last night when Jesus is betrayed just before he dies. Jesus is thinking about Judas. I know he's thinking about Judas because he talks to Judas. One of you will betray me tonight. He turns to Judas and says, what you do, do quickly. When he sees Judas in the garden, and Judas at the head of this party come to arrest him, he says, have you betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss, Judas? But he's also thinking about the disciples. We just talked about how he washes their feet and teaches them a lesson in that last night. He's thinking about Peter. Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Peter, Satan has asked for you, sift you like wheat. After you've been restored, strengthen your brothers. Peter, this night you'll deny me three times. And after his denial, one of the most chilling verses in the entire Bible says that as Peter is speaking, I do not know the man. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus is thinking about Peter. Jesus is walking with his cross. And he sees women weeping and he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for what's going to come on you. He's thinking about them. They're crying because of him and he's thinking about them. It's amazing. Jesus is thinking about the people who are ridiculing and killing him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is thinking about the criminal hanging next to him. Truly, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is thinking about his mom and who's going to take care of her after he's gone. 
And he says to John, John, take care of my mom. Behold your mother and mother, behold your son. While he's on the cross, he's arranging for his mother's care. Who's thinking about Jesus in this moment? Not Jesus. Who is he thinking about? It's only later, when the dust clears and the tomb is found empty, that the disciples begin to process just exactly what's happened and what Jesus has done for them, how he has given his life for them. But it seems to me that it is worth our time to just sit at the foot of the cross and think about what is happening as Jesus offers himself for us. Because Jesus is simply finishing the service and the rejection and shame and the offering of himself that he had done throughout his life. I don't think we would miss it. If we walked with Jesus, this spirit of giving it all, body and soul, heart and mind, everything to the service of God and the service of other people. And the reason Jesus' life has had the power it has had is because Jesus refused to be selfish. He refused to be served and instead sacrificed himself. Now, please don't miss that Jesus calls us to follow him in this. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus calls us to self-denial, like what he did. The denial of my will, the submission of myself to God and to others. If we want to be like Jesus, if we want to come after him, this is where we begin. Where we lay at the foot of the cross our desire to please ourselves. And we say, my life needs to be used in service to God and others. We must offer ourselves. We must sacrifice ourselves. Paul talks about that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, continually offered, continually given in life for God and others. That means we're going to have to lower ourselves to serve, like Jesus. Putting other people above ourselves, even when they don't deserve it. Guess what? None of us deserve to be served by others. We do it in spite of that. And the people Jesus served didn't deserve to be served. That's the whole point. It was instead something Jesus chose to do as he denied himself and followed the will of the Father. The greatest shall be the lowest, the least. He who exalts himself will be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And it means that like Jesus, we're going to have to be prepared to suffer rejection and shame for the commitment we make to serve him and to serve others. I believe that's what he means when he says, take up his cross daily. This is not talking about Jesus' cross. This is talking about our cross. That if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That you and I are going to have times where we suffer as a result of our connection to Jesus. And the question is, are we willing to do it? Are we willing to serve when it hurts? 
We cannot follow Jesus and refuse to suffer the suffering, rejection that comes from being connected with him. Can I just say this about how that looks today? The way that our world is turning, what that sounds like in our language today is being called hateful. We're being called bigoted. That when we follow Jesus or when we believe there are standards, when we believe there is a scripture to follow, suddenly that makes us bad people. Are we willing to suffer that? To endure that? To people that that may not accurately know our character? To cast aspersions on that character? That's a small part. But it definitely is a part of taking up our cross and following Him, sacrificing and being willing to suffer shame. Persecution, enemies, we need to be prepared to accept them as we follow Jesus. But there is also this. Jesus offered His life for other people. And we don't read this verse a lot because I think it seems like a bit of a stretch. But in 1 John 3.16 it says, By this we know love that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He laid down His life for us. And He says the response we should have is to be willing to lay down our lives for one another. Death for one another. And it's one of those things where we say, you know, I know there are some people that are good people and I might die for them, but, you know, I'm not sure my brethren are worth it. And that's the whole point. Ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, surrendering our hearts and our bodies and our souls as instruments of righteousness. Jesus sacrifices himself. But it is not an end in itself. It is to lead his people to a life of self-sacrifice. It is to transform us from the inside out. It is so that you and I can stop this incredible focus we have on ourselves, where we live for ourselves, where we do what we like, where we think our entirety of our life is about pleasing ourselves, and say instead, my life should be spent in service to other people, and in service to my God. So I want you to think about your life. Just how much time you spend in thinking about other people instead of yourself. Thinking about their needs and their hopes and their dreams and their struggles. I want you to spend some time thinking about just how much willing you're willing to do for your brothers and sisters for the people in your neighborhood and in your family, for those you come in contact with at work, at school. Especially, are there limits you put on what you would do for someone else because they seem unreasonable? I would like to ask you to think about that, particularly as you sit at the foot of the cross. May I ask, would you willingly embrace suffering and shame for your connection to Jesus? May I ask, does giving your life for Jesus seem like too much? Again, as we sit at the foot of the cross. Jesus teaches us that when we deny ourselves and give ourselves fully to something, there is an incredible power. And I think this would draw us to Jesus, were we to walk with him. And it should draw us to Jesus as we follow him in this relationship, though he's not physically present. Jesus sacrificed himself, lowering himself to serve, suffering rejection and shame, offering his life for others. The question is, do you need to respond to that? 
That sacrifice that Jesus made so that you could be free from your sins. He has given his life as a ransom for you. And as we've sung this morning, the love of God is best expressed in what Jesus has done for you and offering himself. And if you're ready to accept that sacrifice and to become like Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus, you need to turn away from your sins and be baptized into Christ, have those sins washed away. If there is anyone here who needs to obey the gospel, please come right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.